because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from God's mouth. Let's open our Bibles, please, to Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 16 to 21. I'll be reading it here out of the Christian Standard Bible. Hear then the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman over the house of Israel. When you hear a word from my mouth, give them a warning from me. If I say to the wicked person, you will surely die, but you do not warn him, you don't speak out to warn him about his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person will die for his iniquity. Yet I will hold you responsible for his blood. But if you warn a wicked person and he does not turn away from his wickedness or his wicked way, he will die for his iniquity, but you will have saved your life. Now, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and practices iniquity, and I put a stumbling block in front of him, he will die. If you did not warn him, he will die because of his sin, and the righteous acts he did will not be remembered. Yet I will hold you responsible for his blood. But if you warn the righteous person that he should not sin, and he does not sin, He will indeed live because he has listened to your warning and you will have saved your life. Father, help us to understand this word with a brief meditation. And then as we do a little workshop here, Father, on learning gospel fluency and how to gospelize other people, we pray that you would help us to be a church that warns people of judgment. And help us to be a church that holds out hope of eternal life. Help us to be an evangelistic church, which means being made up of evangelistic church members. So take these words, Father, and help us to hide it in our heart, to shape our church family, and to shape our lives individually. In Jesus' name, Amen. This is one of the scarier Old Testament passages, and I don't plan on giving a full exposition of it, but I did want to just introduce this as a way of setting up our time for gospel fluency tonight. Last week we talked about the Holy Spirit living in us, and if the Holy Spirit lives in us, then we are the what? We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the church is the place, and the church is not this building, this is not the house of God, the building is not the house of God, we are the house of God in the new covenant. And in that sense, the Holy Spirit lives in us. And because the Holy Spirit lives in us, he wants to use us as the witnesses of Jesus Christ to tell other people about Jesus Christ that they might come to Christ and then, and thus the temple would expand and more people would get saved. And so that is our calling. We we learned that last week and we talked about, well, we did one practice of gospel fluency. We'll do another one, another few tonight. But before we do, let's just look at Ezekiel 3, 16 to 21 briefly. Notice here that Ezekiel is a watchman. And as a watchman, your job is to watch, right? Your job is to stand watch. And if you see trouble ahead, what are you supposed to do? Warn the people. If you fall asleep or you fail to warn the people when you see the warning, you fail as a watchman and guilt for that failure is on you or on me. And so when you come to Ezekiel, here's God saying, Ezekiel, you're a watchman. When I warn you and I give you a warning to give to wicked people and you don't warn them, 
When they die, they will die for their sins. And judgment will be on their head for their sin. But their blood will be on... See that in verse 18? Where will their blood be? Yeah, their blood will be on your hands. You will be responsible for their blood because you did not warn them when you were called to warn them. And then verse 19. Well, what if you warn them and they don't listen? Look at verse 19. But if you warn the wicked person and he does not turn from his wickedness or his wicked way, he will die for his iniquity, but you will have saved your life. So if you warn this person, if you warn non-Christians and you're sharing the gospel with them, and they don't turn, did you succeed? Ken says yes. Who agrees with Ken? Yes, you succeed. Okay, a few of you. How many of you say you failed? I see no one saying you failed. I mean, obviously your goal is for them to turn. We don't rejoice in anyone rejecting the gospel. But we can't control their response, right? We can't manipulate people to respond to truth. All we can do is share the truth, or as Paul says in Ephesians 4, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Now, what they do with the truth, that's up to them. And But if you don't speak the truth in love... When they die, their blood is on your hands. You can't pass off that responsibility to somebody else. If God gives you the responsibility to speak truth to someone, Christian or non-Christian, and you give up that responsibility for whatever reason, the blood is on your hands. That scares me. I hope that scares you a little bit, at least just to the seriousness of the responsibility of being a Christian who has God's word and who has the gospel. You have the greatest news in the world, the gospel. And people need it because that's how people get saved. And we have a duty and a responsibility to warn people of the judgment to come. Okay? So if we don't warn, it's on our hands. If we warn and they reject, we are not happy that they rejected Christ, but we are saving our own lives in that sense. Go to verse 20. What about a righteous person? That's a wicked person. What about a righteous person? So you're not only supposed to warn wicked people or non-believers, you're supposed to warn righteous people as well. Look at verse 20. Now, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and practices iniquity, is it possible for a Christian to sin? Yes, we all do. And so if that happens, and God might put a stumbling block in front of them, and they will die. Now, this is Old Covenant. He's not speaking of Christians here. But do you know the story in Acts 5 of Ananias and Sapphira? They lied to, to the Holy Spirit, and they lied to God. And what did God do? He killed them. Now, we can debate theologically, were they saved or were they not? I, I mean, I would probably, I, I mean, I think I would lean towards they were saved, but I don't know, and I wouldn't fight for my position too strongly. The point is this. If someone is identifying with righteous people and the righteous community of God, the covenant community of God, and they're sinning, God might put a stumbling block in front of them and they will die. Now look at verse 20. Let's continue. If you did not warn him, he will die because of what? Because of his sin, not yours. And the righteous acts he did will not be remembered. Yet I will hold, or yet what? What does it say after that? What about for you? If you don't warn him, what happens to you in verse 20? You're accountable. You're responsible for his blood. Does your translation say um, his blood will be on your hands? What does it say? Hold you responsible. Okay. You will be responsible for his blood. Is that NIV, Barbara? I'm sorry. It's the word 
accountable. Does anyone have a King James Version? His blood, the blood of the person who sinned, he will require, God will require at Ezekiel's hands. Because Ezekiel did not warn the righteous person. Verse 21, but if you warn the righteous person that he should not sin, and this person is righteous, so they're actually going to listen to the warning and they won't sin, he will indeed live because he listened to your warning and you will have saved your life. So you have two examples, whether it's a wicked person or a righteous person. Here's the example. God gives you a word to speak to them. If you speak, if you fail to speak it to them and they continue in their sin, they will be judged for their own sin, but God will hold you responsible with blood on your hands for failing to warn them. It's a dangerous thing to have friendships. It's a dangerous thing to have relationships because relationships immediately um, obligate you towards responsibility, towards those relationships. So if you don't warn, God holds you responsible for not warning them, though their sin is on their own hands. Your lack of warning is on your hands. Now, if you do warn them and they don't turn, you're, you're okay. If you do warn them and they do turn, praise the Lord. The point here is, as Christians who love Jesus and who have the gospel message, God has given us a church family to be responsible for, and then God has given you non-Christian friends and family and neighbors and relationships to be responsible for. And I'm not saying you need to say this every, you don't need to warn them every single conversation. But I think the application is to be intentional about communicating God's truth to them. We as Christians, because we interact with with non-Christians so regularly, we can become comfortable with being unintentional with them. Is that true? Where we just get used to not sharing. We're used to not praying for their salvation. We're used to not evangelizing. So then it becomes normal and we get comfortable with it. And passages like this are meant to shock us to say, wake up, you're responsible. I'm not saying again, every time you see them, you have to say something, but you have to be intentional every time. You have to love your neighbor as you love yourself, which means you have to have that love welling up to where you desire them to have life. And to know the truth and to walk in the ways of God and to enjoy God for themselves, which will push you to speak, which means you will have uncomfortable conversations at times, but you will also have glorious conversations at times where you see God work through your words and you see God change people or call people back to himself. And the joy of that is just, you know, it's one of the the joys of life before we get to heaven. And so that is our call to be witnesses to Christ, to bear witness to the truth. Okay, so that's that's the meditation. Now what I want to do for the next 15 minutes, our last 15 minutes or so before our prayer time, is to give you strategies for gospel fluency. Remember we talked about that last week? I said, for those of you who might not have been here last week, gospel fluency is when you speak another language, you start to think in that language. Before, when you're learning a language, you translate in your mind, and then you then you speak. That's not fluency quite yet, right? Vicky, how many languages do you speak? Okay, that, those are your two fluent ones. Would you say you're fluent in Spanish? Okay. Yeah, so the difference between fluency and non-fluency is, in non-fluency, you're still interpreting it in your mind. 
You're translating in your mind and then you're speaking. Fluency, you're just speaking it. You can think in that culture. You can think in that language. You can think with that mindset. So what we're trying to encourage here is gospel fluency. In other words, whenever you see a non-Christian or whenever you see a Christian, you, you have gospel glasses on. And when you see them, you can see how the gospel applies to their situation. If they're a Christian who needs encouragement, if they're a Christian who needs to be challenged, if they're a Christian who needs to be strengthened, you see how the gospel strengthens them. If they're non-Christians, you don't just say, here's the gospel, but you know how to apply the gospel to their specific need and in that specific pathway. Okay, so that's what we're striving for. That's what I'm praying for is gospel fluency. I have uh, a handful of strategies here. Um, We're going to go through some of them today until we run out of time. So our first one, what we're going to do, I told you we were going to do this last week. So I hope you're ready. Carrie, are you ready? You didn't get ready. (laughs) Okay, here we go. What we're going to do, just like we did last week, I'm going to give you one minute. Okay, get a partner. Okay, get a partner. You're going to have one minute to share the gospel with a partner and rejoice in the gospel. And then we're going to switch for the second minute and then we'll we'll, uh, we'll come back together, okay? So let's go. Um, Carrie, you could go with Ken or Ken with Carrie back there. Okay, so let's go. I'll give you one minute. Wait, let's make sure everyone gets their partner first. Don't start yet. Okay. You're going to share the gospel in one minute and then we'll switch back. Ken, you should let Carrie go first. Okay, ready? One minute. Here we go. Ready? Go ahead. And rejoice in this gospel as you share it. This is good news. Fifteen seconds. Five seconds. Okay. Now let's switch partners. Again, one minute. Ready and go. Five seconds, four, three, two, 
one. Okay, I hope you're able to get the four, at least the four major elements of the gospel. What are the four words I, I give you guys? Can someone say them? God, man, Christ, God, man, Christ, faith, response. God, man, Christ, faith is the way I usually say it. God is, God made, so here's the gospel. God made you, God created you, God loves you, God is holy and righteous. Man, God made you in his image to enjoy him, yet we have rebelled against God in our sin. And the penalty of sin is death. God, man. Christ, now this is the core of the gospel, Christ. God sent his son Jesus into the world, fully God, fully man, to live the life we should have lived. He died on the cross for our sins, bearing the judgment of God. He was buried. On the third day, he rose from the dead, defeating Satan, sin, and death. God, man, Christ. And the fourth word is? Faith. So put your faith in Jesus Christ and repent from your sins and from your righteousness. Okay, stop putting your faith in your righteousness and stop putting faith in your sins. Repent from those and put your faith in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the gospel. Okay, that's the basic message. We want to tell people about this. Just in light of Ezekiel, we want to warn them. When I said the penalty of sin is death, that's the warning. That's the warning that we're sounding as the watchman, like Ezekiel. We tell our neighbors, we tell our friends, we tell our family, we are made in God's image, which is great. the greatest thing in the world as far as creation goes. It's better than being a, a bear or a tree or a butterfly, Right? I know some people actually don't think that these days. They wish they were butterflies or things like that. But being made in God's image is the greatest privilege, yet that also means we're accountable to God. And so here's my warning to you, non-Christian friend, that if you don't find a savior for your sins, if there is no, no one to pay for your sins, you will have to pay yourself in hell forever. That's the warning. And the hope is you don't have to pay for it. Just trust in Jesus and turn from your sins because God sent him to die for us and rise for us. That's being a good watchman to a non-Christian, okay? So that's be clear on the gospel. Number two, a second strategy here for gospel fluency is listen to a person's story and then identify where the gospel speaks into it. This is very, very important when you share the gospel with people. And even when you minister to Christians, listen, listen, listen. What does it say in James 1? Be slow to, or be quick to what? Quick to hear, or quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. So when we, or anger, if we want to be good witnesses to non-Christians, we don't want to say, hey, I'm a watchman, i got to tell you this before I get this blood on my hands. And you just kind of vomit the gospel on them, right? So to speak, because you, you, just, want to get, you just want to get your hands clean. That's not really loving them. Better to listen to them first, listen to their story, listen to how their day is going, listen to what is on their heart in that moment, and then while you're listening to them, you know who who else you should be listening to? The Holy Spirit, or God. As the Holy Spirit guides you with the word, you say, Lord God, Holy Spirit, please tell me what to say in light of what I'm hearing, and show me how to get Christ to this person. So you're listening to them, you're listening to God. And as you do that, you wait for your moment to speak if you get a chance, and then you speak the gospel into their story. Now, let me give you a basic outline to to have this gospel fluency. Everyone's story 
whether it's the story of what did you do today, whether it's your story of your week or the story of your life, everyone's story has at least three parts. Creation, fall, and redemption. Everyone's story. Creation is how life was supposed to be, how my week was supposed to be, how today was supposed to go. That's the original creation design. But you know what? This day didn't quite go as I, as I planned. You know, it was a bummer. Today I had, and you start sharing your problem. That's your, not creation, but what's the second one? Fall. That's the fall. What ruined your day? What ruined your week? What ruined their lives? Are you listening to what their fall story is? What's after creation fall? The third one is redemption. What is their hope for redemption? You know, it might be, um, I have a few examples here in my notes. I was wondering though, so I have a few examples here of stories, but before I get to any of these, I was wondering if any of you wanted to share, maybe a, um, Brandon, do you have any microphone ready or not? If you do, would anyone here want to share a story or a burden in their life that they're okay with sharing to the church to pray for them and even to listen to them right now? Anyone willing to do that? Like a two minute, how was your day? How was your week? A burden that we could be bearing together and then even practice gospelizing you? I'm going to wait for 15 seconds in case anyone volunteers. If not, I have some examples here. But just in case, I don't want to rush this. Okay, Francis. My burden lately has been um, the arrival of a new baby because I'm homeschooling and um, we're here at the church. So trying to anticipate what that's going to look like because I get the baby blues. For those of you who don't know what that is, that's, it's not depression, but it's just basic sadness and hormonal issues. So I've gotten that with all of them. So I'm anticipating that to happen again with this baby. And so on top of that, with homeschooling and then obviously leaning on PJ a lot for the homeschooling and him trying to basically just hold down the house while I'm with the baby and going through um, emotional turmoil in my own little soul. So, um, yeah, that's been on my mind a lot lately. Okay. Did anyone hear in that creation, original intention, what, what life ideally should be like? Anyone? Yeah. Sure. Okay, so there, there's the original design, is that right now there's no postpartum depression right now in this moment, so life like this would be great. What's the fall? We just said it. But what's the fall? Yeah. Is the postpartum depression is on the horizon and she sees it coming. Now, here's where you get to gospelize. Where's the redemption now? Okay, now let's, let's share some. There's some different thoughts here. There's not one right answer necessarily, but go ahead, Barbara. Can you say that in the mic? The baby she's going to hold after all that. Okay. So having a baby made in God's image, yes, that the, the joy of that, okay, that, that might help a little bit. Any other gospel truth you can think about? How would you gospelize? Where else does the gospel fit in? Marianne, microphone's coming. Okay, 
So part of the redemption, John, can you close the door just because of the, the door out there, the noise? Part of the, the gospel is that God has given Francis a church family, like you're saying, a church family that will pray for her and try to help out in some way. So the body of Christ, Jesus is the gospel. Jesus has given her a body, a family, to help, help meet some of those needs as much as possible. That's good news. That's God's grace, right? That doesn't solve the problem completely, but that's, that's good news. Any other good news that you're thinking? In, John and then Barbara? In Philippians 4, it talks about how the peace of God surpasses every thought. So just let me know that. Okay, that's Philipp. Now, let me just turn there. Philippians 4, 7 says... Um, Yeah, the peace that passes understanding, as it's known in the King James, right? Um, the peace of God which pa- surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Yeah, so God can guard, even in the middle of depression, you can have peace because of Christ. Yes, hopefully you have a godly husband. <laughs> hopefully your, your husband will be godly <laughs> in, the, in those moments. Yes, hopefully. And if not, he, he has a church family who will correct him. To make who will warn him, lest they have blood on their hands, right? They will warn him that PJ, you need to be serving at home like Christ loved and sacrificed himself for the church. Yes. Okay. Anything else, Brandon? She has a comforter now, the Holy Spirit, uh, who will help her and allow her to to put her mind on Christ for receive joy from Christ. Right. Right. Okay. Francis, did you have any thoughts as well of how to gospelize yourself? Not, it's okay if you don't. I'm just wondering. Just realizing that God has gotten me through the other four. So looking at his grace, and even though it's dark at that moment, just looking back, like, wow, Lord, you really are able to get me through the dark night of the soul. And yeah. It's, looking back, it's really um, encouraging because then now... I'm able to minister to people who have depression issues or just yeah. are having a bad day or whatever the case is. Now I have a little glimpse of what that feels like. Right. It's a ministry opportunity. Right, right. Okay. Now, um, before, well, let me give you a third strategy here before we close in terms of how to how to gospelize people or see see problems with the gospel or see, see how the gospel speaks to problems. Um, so my, my second strategy was listen to the creation, fall, redemption story. By the way, non-Christians, you know what their redemption solutions are? They're always sinful. And so you have good news. When you, when you talk to a non-Christian and, and you ask about their problem, and they say, so what's the solution for you? They have solutions. But guess what? They're not Jesus. And they're not the word. And so guess what? You get the joy of telling them, hey, friend, haven't you tried that before? Do you think it's really going to work this time? I have good news for you. God sent his son, and then you go with the gospel and good news. Because let's think about a non-Christian who has postpartum depression. What would their solution be? Maybe just seclusion? Or it could be alcohol, it could be drug abuse, it could be um, lashing out at people. Right? I mean, there's, it could be lashing out at the baby. There's all kinds of other solutions. Everyone has a redemption idea. But we have the true story of redemption in the Bible. So our gospel privilege is to listen to people's stories and say, 
we have a redemption that applies to your life. You see how the gospel can help you when you listen to people just talking about their day or their week? Let's do one more and then we'll, not one more problem, but let's do one more category of help. A third way to be gospel fluent is to know the stories of the Bible and how all the stories of the Bible point to Jesus, right? It's part of what our Old Testament survey has been about. How does the old, how does the whole Bible point to Jesus? When you know stories of the Bible, when you want to share the gospel with somebody, share a Bible story, especially those of you who have been Christians for decades. You know the stories in the Bible. Share a story that relates to their story and how that story in the Bible relates to Jesus. So let's just take postpartum depression. Can anyone think of any stories in the Bible that deal with depression? Elijah, right? Elijah went when? Can you get the mic? Do you remember when, Marcelino? Is that when he went to Mount Hope? Right, right, okay. Mount Carmel, right, the big showdown. And he was, he was depressed. He went to Mount Horeb and God spoke to him in a whisper. So, and, and then God met him there and God rebuked him and then God picked him up and said, hey, there's more that I have and go back out and do ministry. Yeah, so, so that might, you know, and Francis alluded to that at the end with, this has given me a ministry to other people. So you're just taking a Bible story you know and then, and then connecting it to their story and then connect that story to Jesus. Because guess who else was depressed? Actually, with all the emotions, you know who did, who's done it all? The man of sorrows, right? Has Jesus, was Jesus ever downcast? Remember when he was praying in the garden? Let this cup be what? Passed from me? Three times he's praying to the, to the point of sweating drops of blood. Or even when he's actually on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the lowest point a human has ever been in the history of, of humanity. There's no human who's been lower in experience than Jesus on those, in those three hours of darkness on the cross. That's the gospel right there. That Christ has borne the deepest depression and darkness and fallen curse of the world so that the curse of postpartum depression, it's not to make light of it, but it's to say, you have someone who can sympathize with your soul. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to what? To bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. You've just moved from hearing about someone's postpartum depression to Elijah and his depression to Jesus and to the gospel. You see how you can use the stories you know to gospelize people? I have a few more strategies here. We'll pick them up again next Sunday. But those are a few. My point is I want you to see as you greet each other at church, as you talk to each other on Wednesday or during the week on the phone, as you see a prayer request, think, how do I see this in light of the gospel? And what do you want me, Lord Jesus, to say to bless somebody with the gospel? Okay, we're going to pray. Let me close our time in prayer. We'll pick up with more strategies next week. And um, we're going to move to our prayer time for those who stay. Let's pray. Father, what a joy to have the gospel in all of our lives. Whether it's postpartum depression, whether it's pastoral ministry, whether it's retirement, whether it's a straying loved one that, we, that is breaking our hearts, whether it is 
financial troubles, whether it's health issues, Lord Jesus, you know it all. And you have given us a body, a family, to gospelize one another, even as we seek to gospelize the lost, who have no clue about the goodness that we have in Christ Jesus. Father, would you give us this week an opportunity to gospelize a non-Christian? Maybe we won't get to the full gospel presentation of God, man, Christ, faith. Maybe we will. But even if we don't, we pray that we would be intentional with the gospel, that we would listen to their story, their creation, fall story, and their proposed redemption solutions, and that we would have a chance to speak the gospel into their lives. What a privilege to live for you this coming week. May we go forward with your spirit knowing that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we will move to prayer now. For those of you who are staying, we're going to pass out the prayer sheet and share 10 blessings. You're all welcome to stay, but if you must go, this would be an easy time to, to, to sneak out. Okay?